All right, all right. You guys can uh, find a seat. Hey, let's give it up for the, for the chefs, for those who led worship tonight, those who served. Well, if you guys uh, are not awake, you guys can grab a cup of coffee. And, uh, you know, it's awesome. We've got people that love to bake. You know, I just ate some brownies. I think Lisa made some, some cookies. And so I'm all sugared up and caffeined up and hopefully ready to go after a long day. I've been... I've been kind of battling a cold this last week, and so I apologize if I'm a little bit, a little bit dragging. But uh, we call this this night the gathering. It's uh, it's a really special night for a lot of the staff and the church because it's a night that we want to we want to go through the the word verse by verse. But it's, I think it's also a night of family of getting to know somebody because kind of unfortunately on Sunday you can't really have fellowship with the back of somebody's head. If you think about it, right, you're sitting behind somebody, and that's why we chose to do tables, you know, to, to get to know the people at your, at your tables, and hopefully, you know, we're talking about how we can have fellowship more a part of the service on, on Sundays instead of it being the way it is, and so we're, we're learning, but um, <clears throat> if you've been with us the last few weeks, we've been going through the, the book of First, First Corinthians, and it's a... Uh, it's an amazing book. I love any letter that Paul has written. It's in the New Testament. And what Paul is talking about tonight is kind of an often overlooked subject that churches kind of shy away from. They don't really talk about a lot. It's the, it's the topic of singleness. Right? Churches just kind of, I think churches kind of cater more to married people and to couples and to families. And oftentimes they don't really know what to do with singles. You know, what do, we, what do we do with singles? The, the first century church kind of had an issue with widows. The widows were being overlooked, you see, in the book of Acts. And I think now today there's tons of people that are single. And so we've been talking about what, even that issue with the, with the staff. You know, do we have a singles ministry? What do we do with that? Should we do more events or things where people can meet, meet and to know each other. And I think last week we kind of did a carnival thing just so that we kind of had a, f- a fun night um, to, to interact and to get to know each other. Because um, as much as I love studying the Word, it's not, it's not everything. You have, to have, you have to have quality relationships to, to um, I think, to, in order to, to follow the Lord. You can't just be a, a lone island. And uh, what I wanted you guys to get out tonight, I'm kind of going on my usual rant before I get into the message because I don't, I, I don't like being locked down to the text. But I, what I wanted to share for you guys that are single, guys and gals, um, and for you married people, I'll have a little bit of a nugget at the end. This is mostly talking to single people tonight. Um, I want you guys to know that if you're single, you have a key. I have a little picture up there. You have a key to the kingdom of God. And if you think about it, you ask yourself, what is a key? What does that mean? That's kind of ambiguous. Well, a, a key is used to unlock certain doors and opportunities. I'm not going to necessarily tell you what those doors and opportunities are, but I just want you to know that you have a key. It's a unique key. And for those who are married, you also have a key. It's a different kind of key with different doors and different opportunities. I believe that, you know, even the one that wrote this letter, Paul, he was single, and 
God used that in order to do a lot in his ministry. He traveled all over. He was even got a minister while he was in, in jail. And like I was saying earlier, I think being single in the church, you know, especially for me, being a pastor and single is kind of seen as like having leprosy. You know, you go to like conventions and you go whatever, and it's like you don't have a, a spouse. It's like you're, you're kind of treated like you're a leper. They don't really know what to think. It's like, oh, that's, that's kind of weird. But I've had this realization because I used, to, I used to think that it was a bad thing. It, it's seen as a negative thing. But I come to this realization, I was just thinking about all the things that I've been able to do because I've been single for a while. You know, I think by the age 25, I had already traveled to 15 countries and been on a dozen mission trips. And then I kind of took a, a little break, and then now it's, I think, 16 countries, and I've been on over... 20 mission trips. And I was thinking about that. I'm like, you know, that's pretty crazy because the, the, the last church we're at, the missions director hadn't even been on one mission trip. And I'm like, man, that's pretty crazy to think about. I'm not trying to toot my own horn, but I was like, I was able to do something because I was single. I wasn't, I wasn't married. I didn't have any relationships. And I was able to go to travel and able to see the world and to, and to minister in other countries, which I look back on. I, I cherish some of those memories. And even, I was thinking about it, because I, I, I kind of went into partial retirement after 25. You know, I got kind of sick of traveling, but, you know, my friend invited me to go to Nepal next year. He's like, you got to come out to Nepal. You got to come out to Hawaii to visit me. And then, I'll, you know, Kyle and I were looking at tickets to New Zealand. I've always wanted to go there because of the Lord of the Rings movies. And I was like, you know, so I, it's just weird, because as single people, we're in this mindset that our life hasn't begun yet. You know, we think our life hasn't begun yet, or we don't have a life because we're not with somebody. And that's kind of weird because I was talking about that key. If you're single, you have more freedom in your life now than, than you will when you're married. It's just, it's just one of those facts. And I believe that we got to use that freedom to discover our purpose and to begin to walk in some of the plans and destiny that God has for us. And, and you're able to do that. You can go exploring. You can, you can even just, I don't know, you're, you're free to, to go do that. And it, it's not that marriage is, is worse. It's different. It's not. You know, but you're going to have, when you're married, you're going to have less time and less freedom. You can't just decide to go somewhere on a whim. Like my, I have a friend that, you know, he's been married a few years. He's a little bit younger than I am, and he wanted to go be a missionary in Mexico. And he was, like, ready to, to go the next week. And I was, like, trying to sit him down to say, hey, man, you got a wife and two kids. You can't just drop everything and go next week. You got to think about, have you even asked your wife if she even wanted to go to be a missionary in Mexico? And he's like, no. I'm like, you got a big, man, you're not, trust me, you're not going to be, you're not going to go unless she's willing to go. Because you can't, just, you can't just force somebody to do something that they don't want to do. That's not how it works. And uh, it's taking a little bit longer than he would like. Probably a lot longer. But that's just kind of an example. And I think this kind of, um, I was talking earlier about this idea that, you know, we feel like we don't have a life until we have a wife or something like that. I think a lot of this idea comes from the Disneyland movies. Who's seen a, Di a Disney movie? All of us have seen a Disney movie. Maybe some of you ladies are dressed up like a princess. My, my nieces always have a princess birthday party, and it's adorable, and I love it. But the thing is, is that 
there's always this nuance in this movie of that, you know, they, they're, they're, their life is miserable. You know, they're like a servant, and they're just waiting for that prince to just rescue them, you know, because they're cleaning their floors. They have mean sisters that are ugly and whatever. But, you know, they, 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 the premise of all these movies is that they, they meet somebody, and then they're going to live happily ever after. And I was realizing, like, you know, I think a lot of people believe that. I think even I believe that, right? You think it's like, man, I just got to get to that altar, meet that somebody, and then I'm going to live happily ever after. Well, if you're single, that's not true. Because it's going to take work. And I was even thinking about this. I heard that, you know, if you're not happy now, think about your life now. If you're not happy now, and you're waiting for somebody to make you happy, you have an issue. And that issue is, is that you need a happy manager. You need somebody to manage your happy because you can't manage your own happy. And I'm not trying to judge or condemn anybody. I'm just pointing something out. And this is especially true for me. I was thinking about it, I'm like, wow. I'm like, do I need somebody to make me happy? Do I need somebody to manage my own happiness or manage my own loneliness or manage my depression? Because they're not going to be able to do that. What's actually going to happen is that I'm going to suck the life out of that person, and then I'm going to drag them down to where I'm at if I can't be confident and, and be happy on my own. You know, someone was telling me marriage just can't be two fleas without a dog, right? Two people that are just trying to suck the life or trying to get what they want or need out of the relationship dragging each other down. You have to be healed. You've got to be walking in freedom and some of that. And I think, especially right now, if you have this time, begin to align yourself with God's purpose, his plans right now. Maybe you need to, to enter in some, some freedom. You know, get your freedom now. Get your healing now. Solve some of those things that, that you need to, to learn. Grab some of those tools that you're going to need for your life now before you, before you venture off with somebody else because it's just going to make things more complicated, you know, and they're not going to be able to, you can't expect that person to fix you. And I think that's just, um, that's just propagated a lot in some of the movies and media that we see. I'm not trying to shame anybody because I was thinking about it myself. It's like, I watch these movies too, all these love stories or whatever. And, and, you know, that's what they are. That's what they're pretty much saying. You just meet somebody and you're good. Your life is set and you're not going to have any other problem ever. And so that's kind of my little, my rant for a little bit. We're going to actually get into some of the, the word to make this official. You know, I'll get in trouble if I don't. But in our story tonight, Paul's going to, he's, he's really singling out the singles in Corinth. And, you know, they're not sure whether to marry or to, to remain in their marriage. And some of the widows, you know, they don't know if they should remarry after losing a spouse. And what is actually happening, I'll go into a little bit later, is that there's a lot of instability and chaos actually happening in the first century. He doesn't say it in the text explicitly, uh, but, but we know from, from history that there's things that are going on. He actually says in verse 26, which is not um, from our text tonight, it's from last week. He says, because of the severe pressure we are in, I, re- I recommend you remain as you are. If you're married, stay in the marriage. If you're single, don't rush into marriage. And so he kind of just briefly mentions this, this. He's talking about this severe pressure. And I was looking just kind of, what, what was he talking about? 
And some of the things that were happening was there was a, a prophet in Acts, Agabus, he, he predicted of, of a severe famine. I have a little picture, just a, just a, a famine that was going to hit the land, in a sense, a huge drought. There wasn't going to be a lot of food. And also, another element that was happening is that there was, there was a severe persecution of Christians under Nero. You know, the, I think three-quarters or two-thirds of Rome had burned to the ground, and he decided to blame the Christians. And so they started rounding up Christians and crucifying them, throwing them to the lions for sport, and they kind of made a, a public spectacle of that. So that was, that was some of the political turmoil going on. Also, on top of that, there was also severe persecution of the Jews by the Romans. They actually, around this time period, destroyed Jerusalem and destroyed the temple because of the uprising of the Jews that the, that the Romans came in and just decided to clean house. And what's kind of crazy is that all this, is, all this actually is going on at the time, but it, it happens a few years after Paul's writing this letter. And so I, I want us to kind of, when we read this, I think oftentimes we can easily just read this passage and just think, oh, it sounds like Paul is saying that being single is better than being married, and maybe it would be more virtuous or holy if I was single. It's not necessarily what he's saying. He, he's really writing as a father and giving fatherly advice to people that are going through severe hardship. And to kind of get our mindset in that, because I was thinking, man, what would it be like to have kids or to be married or have a family while you're going through something like this? I decided to kind of just look up some Great Depression pictures, because maybe some of you guys had a, a relative or someone that grew up in the Great Depression. My grandfather went through the Great Depression, and the one thing I remember, he never threw anything away. In fact, his whole yard was covered in appliances, old pieces of metal, all kinds of stuff. And, and my dad, he, my dad actually got that too from him, never threw anything away. And I never understood that, because I'm like, man, it's, I don't want to have a junkyard in my backyard. But... I was looking at these pictures and reading more about the Great Depression, and people really suffered. You know, I saw this picture right here. People actually sold their kids or gave their kids away because they couldn't feed their kids. You know, they called it a, a home child, a home, a home boy, a home girl, that they would send their kids away because they had no means of provision. And some of those kids were literally treated like slaves in other homes, or they were brought to work camps just for board. They, they weren't even necessarily paid. And I was thinking, man, that would be horrible. Imagine having kids or family and not being able to provide, having no resources. There's no, there's no welfare or anything at the time. There's, there's really no fallback. And you would have to decide, like, what am I going to do? Am I going to have to sell my kids or give them up? And that's something that we don't necessarily face today. I think my generation, I think the worst thing that happens to us is when we lose our Wi-Fi connection. You know, we panic after 15 minutes because we don't know what to do with ourselves. These people really suffered. Even the homeless people, those people don't starve to death. We have a lot of organizations and things in place where they can eat. But there's people all around the world, or even the Great Depression, they're starving. You could literally starve to death. And I can't think of a, a worse way to die, actually, or to suffer. 
And Francis Bacon, he write this, he kind of talks about having family kids. He said, he that hath wife and children hath given hostages to fortune, and children sweeten labors, but they make misfortunes more bitter. And so he kind of recognized and captured that truth. And also on a side note, I was looking at marriage statistics with millennials and just how the economy has played a role. Um, I think the marriage statistics are fairly low on millennials. And part of the reason, I think one of the three reasons is just because of the, the cost to have a family and to, uh, to have a spouse. It's, just, it's a lot greater than it, I guess it was a few decades ago. So that's kind of that. But what we see tonight, what I want to grab is that Paul's going to give fatherly advice to these singles in the Corinthian church. I wanted to set the context and get us in the mindset. These guys are facing some severe hardship, and he's giving advice based upon this hardship and not based upon something, you know, like that singleness is, is some virtuous thing. Because I think the church, if you study the church history, I think that was kind of a common belief, you know, celibacy and, and to remain single and that it was this virtuous thing or holy thing and, and that you would actually be elevated above other people. And so if you're willing, if you're able, we're going to stand and just read God's word. We're starting in chapter 7, verse 32, and I'm just going to read to 35, and he's going to talk about some of the stuff. We're going to dive into more of this subject of Singleness. He says, because of this, I quoted the severe pressure, we need to live as free from anxiety or worldly concern as possible. For a single man is focused on the things of the Lord and how he may please him, but a married man is pulled in two directions. For he's concerned about both the things of God and the things of the world in order to please his wife. And the single woman is focused on the things of the, of the Lord so that she can be holy both in body and in spirit. But a married woman is concerned about the things of the world and how she may please her husband. I'm trying to help you and make things easier for you and not make things difficult, but so that you would have undistracted devotion serving the Lord constantly with an undivided heart. Lord, we just thank you, God. We praise you. We thank you for tonight. I just pray, Lord, that um, somebody would receive a word of encouragement or correction or whatever that you may uh, wish, Lord. So we just pray your presence be here, uh, that you're with us. In Jesus' name, amen. You guys may be seated. So like I was saying earlier, Paul is giving this fatherly advice to the church, right? He even says, you know, I'm writing to you. I'm, I'm really trying to help you make things easier. You know, I, I don't want you to, I don't want you to under, undergo the hardship because those who have families, those who are married are going to be undergoing a severe hardship. They're going to be thinking about how they can um, feed their, their kids or their wife or to take care of their family when all this is happening. And so he actually is saying that it's actually almost better for you to be single at this time. And also we got to, when we read this passage, we got to consider Paul's perspective. Paul, Paul's life was very difficult. He, he traveled a lot, but he, he, he faced severe persecution in different cities that he went to. We saw that in Acts, if you guys were here for Acts. 
And you can imagine what, what that would have been like if he would have had a wife or had a kid. You know, he was even in prison for a large portion of that. And so imagine trying to take care of a wife or kids while you're in prison. You, you really can't. And so he also, but you also have to remember that a man of his position back in the day, before he was saved, he was most likely married. I think Randy talked about that a few weeks ago. And so he understood what, what it was like to be married. He was either a widower or maybe a divorcee. And so he, he also understood the responsibilities uh, marriage entailed. And so he, he's trying to really free people and to allow them to find um, and serve the Lord in a, in, a, in a manner that would be fitting in this time. And also, I think for us today, who are single or free, I think it's important that we think about how we can serve the Lord with our undivided attention or start to pursue some of the plans and some of the purposes that he, that he has for us. I found this interesting quote by John C. Maxwell. He says, the way you deal with the worst determines if you ever get the best. And I think that's kind of the mindset that I'm, I'm trying to talk about is about making the best of what you have now. Start seeking and going in the direction that you want to go and something good will probably or, or could come your way. And um, before I go any further, I wanted to kind of have you guys do a little table talk, a little section about just about how it's kind of this dual question about you know, for singles, what does your relationship with God look like? And those who are couples, how does being in a relationship um, or marriage affect your relationship with Jesus? And I'm not, one's not better than the other. I just want you guys to kind of share at your table. Like, what does that look like? How does that change things? And you guys have a few minutes. You guys can go. So. <clears throat> About one minute, guys. Be quick.
About 30 seconds. Right, you guys can wrap that up. I wish I could give you more time. I think some of the answers can vary, right? For some of you single people, maybe having too much time isn't a good thing because you you don't know what to do with yourself by having too much free time. And for married people, having um, being married, you, you might be married to a godly spouse who really encourages you and helps you in that time. It can be an amazing thing you know you can to have somebody that uh, is a companion that you guys are headed in the same direction also it can be very difficult to have a spouse that might not be a believer or to see things a certain way you know maybe they don't believe in tithing or they don't even want to go on a, on a trip with you a mission trip or anything like that and so it can it can be the cause for 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 anxiety or for stress or even some tension in a relationship and so yeah, the whole idea wasn't to show that one is better than the other. I hope you're not getting that, but that it's just different. It's kind of a different animal. But moving on, Paul's going to get a little bit more specific here. If I lay out a road map, I just want to get through this. He, he, he talks about he's going to give advice to fathers who have daughters that want to marry. Then he's going to give advice to young men who are engaged or betrothed. And then he's going to give some advice to those who are married. Or, and those who may be widows who've lost somebody, whether they should get married or not. So jumping into 36, we're almost there. It says, um, however, if a man, and really it's a father, thinks he's acting inappropriately toward his unmarried daughter who has passed her time and he has not yet given her hand in marriage, it is fitting for him to give to her to whoever he chooses. He does not sin and she may get married. So he's right. If you if you know at this time, fathers, they they're the ones that made the decision if their daughter got married. You know, don't you dads wish you had that kind of decision making today? You know, to, whether your daughter get married or not, they they were the ones that decide. And so what he's he's writing to them is he's saying, you know, you can imagine the tension of maybe a daughter meeting someone and wanting to get married, and a father just saying, hey, you know, this isn't the right time. The economy's not good, or all this stuff is happening, and Let's put the brakes on that. What Paul's saying is like, you know, don't withhold marriage from your daughter, especially if she wants to get married and she's passing her opportune time for marriage, if she's passing that opportune marriage age, which I'm not sure what age people got married at. They got married fairly young because they didn't live very long back in the day. And so he's saying you're not committing any wrong by allowing her to get married. Then he moves on to the young man and, and tells him, he says, on the other hand, if a man stands firm in his heart to remain single and is under no compulsion to get married but has control over his passions and is determined to remain celibate, he has chosen well. He's saying it's better. So then the one who marries his fiancée does well, and the one who chooses not to marry, uh, marry her does better. And so what Paul's saying, he's saying if you, if you can bridle your passions, if, if you're... If you have yourself under control, then you're going to do well not to marry. Maybe it's not the, you know, like, and we understood from the context, it's maybe not the best time to get married. And he's saying, 
why don't you wait a little bit longer and things might get better. I think sometimes for us today, we like to rush in and, and be ruled by our passions to, and make rash decisions. But I think sometimes time is, time is the best answer. It's the best antidote for that. Take the time to get to know somebody. Build a healthy friendship. You know, begin to seek some of the things that you want for your life now. You don't have to rush in to something. And I was kind of thinking about that. You know, two lost people can't really help each other out. You know, if if you just get married and you don't know where you're going and that person doesn't know where they're going, you're not going to help each other out. And even, even if one person knows where they're going, another person doesn't, that can cause a lot of tension. And so sometimes waiting is the best thing. Learn where you're going to go. What is the vision God has for your life? You know, what are some of the things that you desire? And once you know that and begin walking in that, maybe you'll look over one day and realize there's somebody that is pursuing the same thing. You know, they're, 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 they have the same kind of vision. They have the same kind of desire that is leading them in their life. And I think that's what um, can lead to healthy marriages. And lastly, we're going to end tonight on this last few verses. He's going to talk about the married and widower. He says, a wife is bound by the marriage covenant as long as her husband is living. But if the husband dies, she is free to marry again as she desires. But of course, he should be a believer in the Lord. However, in my opinion, and I think that I too have the Spirit of God, she would be happier if she remained single. So if you're married, stay married. If you're a widower, if you lost your spouse, you're, you're free to marry again. That's okay. But it would be better if you remained as you were. You would actually be happier. Which is kind of strange that he writes that, but I believe that Paul was content and happy being single. Being single is not for everybody. It, it, it can take a mental, physical, and a, a spiritual resolve. But for Paul, he knew where he was going. He, he knew who he was serving, and he had a call of God on his life. And, and I think that for him, um, he also had close relationships around him. And for those who may be single today, find friendships. Find other people. Go and do stuff. You know, don't just be isolated. You know, Paul wasn't isolated. He had close relationships and close friendships. Even though he, was, he wasn't married, you know, he was married, but he was not married at this time, um, he had other people. He, he had a church. He had friendships. And I think it's important, I think especially today in a social media age, social media isn't, um, it isn't a, a replacement for real quality relationships. And I think in our society, we've traded, we've traded quality for convenience. You know, a lot of this stuff, texting, Facebook, social media, it's very convenient. You just jump on and you can talk to whoever. But it, you're not really getting the same quality as meeting up with somebody or getting coffee or, or hanging out with someone. It, it's not the same quality. And I think even a lot of it, sometimes, it, it's really about what you're going to get out of it and not what other people are getting out of it. And I wanted to talk about something. There, there was a word that he used, this word covenant, in verse 39. And I think this is going to help to illustrate that. And I wanted to talk about this for a moment because I was thinking about, you know, we have a lot of singles. There's a lot of, there's a lot of not only singles in the church, but in society. And there's this whole breakdown of relationships in our society. And I was like, why is that? 
is it that people don't want to get married anymore? That people don't believe in, you know, maybe marriage, the definition has changed, or they just have gone through a lot of hurt or pain or just seen that it doesn't work? What exactly is There's so many factors to it, but I really believe that this is kind of the heart of the issue. It's this issue of, our, is our relationship based on contract or covenant? And I want to go into each one. Um, we have, still have some time, and I think this will be beneficial. A contract, and if some of this hits you, congratulations, you're human. We all deal with some of this. It's okay. But this is what a contract is. It says, if you do this, whatever that is, then I will do that. Or I will do that if you do this. And you just fill in the blank, whatever that is. And uh, the basis of a contract is I'm going to protect myself over protecting the relationship. And as soon as you don't meet my expectations, if, if I don't get what I want, then I'm going to do this. And you could fill in that blank. Maybe it's, well, I'm going to find somebody else. Or maybe I'm going to throw a, a tantrum. Or I'm going to try to use control, or I'm going to try to use fear, or I'm going to use guilt to get what I want from this relationship. And so at the basis of contract is it's a conditional, performance-based, anxiety, control, fear, manipulation, coercion, etc. That's, that's kind of the undercurrent of that. And I was even reading about, this might illustrate a little bit better, about studies that have found that cohabitation had, had such poor results. And the reason why cohabitation just kind of had such poor results is that, you know, you, you, people go into a relationship, and it's really kind of based on contract, right? You, you meet someone, you're passionately in love with them, and you decide to kind of test the waters, to shack up. And the thing is, is that what you're really saying is that I'm only in this relationship to get what I need. And as soon as I'm not getting what I need from this relationship— then I'm going to find somebody else or I'm, gonna, I'm just going to jump ship. I'm out. That's, that's kind of the basis and undercurrent. Yeah, that might, may not be like on the surface, but that's kind of one of the undercurrents of a relationship that is built like that. You know, it, it's really not about what I can give as much as what I can get out of that. And I think a lot of relationships are based on that. And I was just reading about it. I'm like, wow, I, sometimes you don't even think about that we can be doing some of this stuff. On the other hand is covenant. God loves covenant. We see covenant in the Old Testament. We see covenant used in the language of, of marriage. Kim talked about the new, the new covenant, God shedding his own blood for us as covenant, as a covenant promise to us. A covenant is more like this. It's, it's, I'm go, you're gonna, you get to influence me, and I get to influence you. See, I'm going to be vulnerable enough to allow you to influence me, and you're also you're going to be vulnerable vulnerable enough for me to influence you. It's two empowered people, two vulnerable people, who are willing to receive from one another, who who's willing to give the other person a voice into their life. And also, I really thought this was powerful too. The basis of covenant is, I'm laying my life down for you. I'm going to lay my life down for you. You're going to lay your life down for me. Because when you're using that kind of language, when you have that kind of mindset, you're going to do whatever it takes to honor that commitment. 
You're going to do whatever it takes to make it work. And I'm not talking about, you know, sometimes you've got to set healthy boundaries. I'm not even, I don't even get to talk about that tonight. But it's really this mindset that both people are willing to sacrifice in order to make something work. You know, it's not just about passion because passion is a good thing. You can't marry someone you're not passionate about. But passion is not going to weather the storms of life when they come. Sacrifices. You, you kind of have to have both working and operating so that it's going to work. You know, both people have to be willing to lay down their life in order to protect the relationship they have with one another. And what's interesting is that soldiers who fight on the front lines, who are in battle, they, there's this phenomenon that they talk about. They say that their relationship, their connection with their brother-in-arms is even greater than their connection with their wives. And the reason, I was thinking, well, why is that? Isn't that weird? Well, the thing is, is that they may not like the guy next to them. They may not be their friend or hang out with them back in the civilian world. But when they're on that front line, they have made a commitment. And they're, they're saying to their brothers, I'm going to lay my life down for you. And I know that you would lay your life down for me. And when they have that kind of commitment and when they go to battle and gone through stuff, it forms a bond in them that is unlike any bond that they may have experienced in life. And I thought that was interesting. You know, they're willing to make that sacrifice and that bond forms because of that. Now, I'm not trying to give marriage advice. I don't believe I'm fit to give marriage advice. If you are married, you need marriage advice. You can talk to Randy and or Janet. I think they've been married longer than all the pastoral staff together. And uh, they have a lot of wisdom just about marriage, the, the hardship and the, the blessings of that. Some books that I recommend. And I hope we do like a marriage class in the fall because they're always so helpful for those and enlightening. There's a, a book called The Meeting of Marriage by Tim Keller. It's a good book. There's a book by Danny Silk, who's a family life pastor at Bethel, called Keep Your Love On. He writes a lot of the, some amazing stuff about covenant that I've gravitated to. There's also the Love and Respect series that I've kind of uh, took a peek at. But it would be awesome if that somebody could do a class. Maybe i got to talk to Randy or someone that they could lead a class. But the reason why I bring this up is that culturally, we're seeing a failure in relationships. Because if you think about it, our relationships these days are based on contract and not on covenant. And unfortunately... We see that at church. And I want to wrap this up, but th- I think this is important, is that I've been in ministry for a while. You know, I've been in church for at least 13 years and in ministry for a while. And I've always liked hearing about other churches and hearing people's experience of what it was like at another church and, or just from friends who attend other churches. And I've heard numerous things. You know, I've heard things like, wow, you know, I love my church because... They give the the most gospel-centered messages. The teaching is so amazing. I love my church. I'm like, well, that's good. And then I I hear from other people, like, you know, my church is great because the worship is so good and the the presence of God is there and we're just free. We could dance. We could do whatever, you know, do back handspring and and nobody cares. And it's it's so free and amazing. And I'm like, that's cool. Yeah, I, I like that. But never in my time, I'm thinking about this, never in my time have I ever heard somebody say, you know, I really like the church I'm at because the people love me. Or better yet, I love the church I'm at because those people, are, they were like family to me. 
You know, when, when, I was, when I needed help, they were there. When I was in the wrong, they lovingly restored me. They were like a true brother or a true sister to me. I've never heard anybody talk about a church like that, where family was at the center point. And I was thinking about that, and I'm like, That's, that, is, that is just wrong. So we got, we got people going to churches because of teaching or worship, but where's the whole family element? You know, we, I, I hear things of people saying, well, I stopped going to that church because I didn't like the music, or I stopped going because the kids' program was garbage, or whatever, for this reason, someone offended me, or this happened, and I'm not saying there's not legitimate reasons, but doesn't that, isn't that an example of somebody that's living by a contract about someone that is more concerned about what they're getting instead of what they're laying down? And trust me, I've been guilty of this. You know, there's, there's things that even I don't agree with. You know, I don't think church is ever going to be a place where we're going to perfectly agree with. We're going to have some tension. But if you think about it, if, 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 if we're just here to get what we want, and instead of laying down our life, I think that's just wrong. Because going to church isn't about getting what we want but laying down our lives so God can get what he wants. You know, a, a church where no one gets what they want is a church that, got, that God can get what he wants. I heard uh, somebody was, uh, this wasn't at this church, but I'll just kind of end with this. You know, a guy was saying, oh, you know, I just don't like this, the worship, and, you know, it's just not my style. And the pastor kind of looked at him and said, well, what makes you think that they were singing that song for you? It's like, I thought we were singing that song for, for him. And that really convicts me, because I've, I've been places, and I'm like, ah, oh, the music's off, or, you know, I went to my friend's church, and they used backing tracks, and I'm like, man, that's so lame. They should have a real band. And I, that always gets me, because I realize, like, this is not for me. It's not about what I want. It's about me laying down my life, so that God can get what he wants. And I think that God is going to begin to bless that. And he wants to bless churches where family is at the center. Where people are willing to lay down their lives for each other. Not just people who want to see a show or hear a little teaching or get something. It's about what you want to give. And that's kind of this whole social undercurrent that's been happening uh, through our society. And I think why people... There's so many broken relationships. Is everybody's just thinking about themselves, what they can get. How can I get the most from my government? How can I get the most from this relationship? How can I get the most from this church or these systems that are in place? And we're just creating a society that everybody's thinking about themselves and not thinking about how, how am I going to lay down my life so that other people can flourish? And so, just ending on this verse, I know I went a little bit over. This is 832... And we have to understand, it says that he who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? And so God understands covenant. He actually gave up his life for us in covenant relationship with us. He, he was willing to go the entire distance for that. And I believe that that's going to allow us to, once we know that and once we experience that, it's to be a lot easier to lay down our lives for one another. Amen?
Amen. I know I'm a little late, but I'll pray for us. Lord, God, I pray that you would restore family in your church, God. And I'm not talking about families. I'm talking about family, Lord, where people can truly love one another. God, I know that is, that is one of your dreams, Lord, to see people who are willing to do whatever it takes to make it work. God, so that you may be honored. You say that the world shall know, um, shall know you by the love we show to one another, God. And I pray, Lord, that we, would, that we would learn that, how to love one another, how to forgive one another, how to show grace and how to show honor to one another, God. And, and we haven't been perfect. But, Lord, we're learning, and we want to embody this. This is something that is so important to you and something that the world doesn't have, but it's a gift you've really shown us, how to live in covenant. And so, God, I just pray that you just bless everybody here, that they would have a, a good week, Lord, that they would have testimonies for you of the, of the things that, that, you're there, you're, that you're doing in their lives. And so we just leave this place just full of hope, and full of joy. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.